You're listening to True Crime Feed. Welcome to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Wow, I feel like I haven't talked to you guys since last year. Haha, <laughs> starting right off with a bang. Dad jokes aside, though, you guys, it's a brand new year and it's a brand new me. My resolution is to be more optimistic and less cynical. I also wouldn't mind shedding a little bit of holiday weight. And lucky for me, I just heard about a fabulous new diet from a delightful spokesperson named Jared Fogel. And I guess all you have to do is just like eat two Subway sandwiches a day. But it sounds almost too good to be true. No, no, that's the old cynical Angela talking. The new me is all positive all the time. But I guess we should do a little bit of due diligence digging into this Subway diet and its promoter, Jared Fogel. And if you want to take your listening experience to the next level, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. We've got a whole lot of throwback Subway ad photos of Jared Fogel on his famous pants tour, where Jared made school visits around the country and let kids play with his oversized pants. Let's just say many of these photos have not aged well since 2015, when Jared Fogel was making headlines for other reasons. There is so much more to this story than just the shocking clickbait news stories and the late-night talk show punchlines. So I was pumped when the podcast Hollywood Crime Scene did a deep dive on the story back in 2017. Hosted by the hilarious Desi Jadakin and Rachel Fisher, Hollywood Crime Scene covers true tales of crime and scandal involving celebrities. Lately, their episodes are a little bit reality TV heavy for me. Lots of real housewives and financial trouble kind of stuff. Not so much my jam. The quality has maybe fallen a little in their latest episodes, or maybe I'm just nostalgic for 2017-era HCS, because my favorites are their coverage of old Hollywood crime stories, like the trials of Fatty Arbuckle and their coverage of the 1930s actress Frances Farmer. Her story is wild. She was struggling with mental health and was forced into a psychological torture center, basically. She ends up being a huge inspiration to Nirvana's Kurt Cobain. That story is fascinating. I also feel like Hollywood Crime Scene covered the dating game show Killer way before anyone else did. So you have alluring stories like those, and then they throw in a rando but still gripping case like Jared Fogel. I've been following this case ever since, and a lot of new info has come out. So let's get into it. Jared Fogel was born in 1977 in Indianapolis, Indiana. He started having weight problems during his adolescence. Then by the time he was in college in the late 90s, his weight was up to 425 pounds. This was during a time when there wasn't a ton of body positivity in our culture. Jared was especially feeling the pressure to lose weight from his father, a doctor who would warn him about the health risks of being morbidly obese. 
even going as far as telling Jared if he didn't shed the pounds, he'd be dead by 40. So Jared Fogle decided to make a change. While attending the University of Indiana Bloomington, go Hoosiers, Jared was studying for a business degree and lived in off-campus housing that happened to be situated directly across the street from a Subway sandwich shop. So Jared would eat there twice a day, typically getting steak subs with extra cheese. But then, the words of his father haunting him, Jared decided to switch up his usual order and try some of the offerings on the healthy sandwich menu. Subs that boasted less than 6 grams of fat and 0 grams of flavor. This was the dawning of a brand new Jared. Every day he would start out with a cup of coffee, then have a turkey sub for lunch with no mayo or cheese and extra veggies. He'd get a small bag of baked Lay's potato chips and then wash it down with a Diet Coke. Then for dinner, Jared would order the foot-long veggie sub. He also started walking to class every day, averaging around 3,000 steps. And within a year, Jared Fogle lost 245 pounds, officially entering his Slenderman era. He went from consuming 10,000 calories a day to 2,000 calories, essentially just restricting his caloric intake and walking more. But Jared attributed all of his weight loss success to eating at Subway. At one point, the newly slendered Fogel bumped into his old freshman roommate on campus named Ryan Coleman, and Ryan didn't recognize him at first. Jared looked like a totally different person. Ryan happened to work at the university newspaper, and he wrote a profile about Jared Fogel's transformation in an article titled From Thick to Thin. In the year 2000, Men's Health magazine picked up the story in an article titled Stupid Diets That Work. This was perfect timing for Subway. The chain kind of stumbled into this role of the de facto healthy fast food option after a Houston franchise owner came up with the seven sandwiches under six grams of fat menu in the late 90s. And their store sales were going like gangbusters. So Subway rolled out the seven under six menu nationwide and started marketing themselves as the healthy alternative. Then a Chicago Subway franchisee read this article and hired Jared for a local ad and his store sales went through the roof. So Subway hired Jared Fogel to be their spokesperson and star in nationwide campaigns. You probably remember those old commercials from the early aughts of Jared Fogel showing his before pictures at his largest weight cut to a transformed Jared walking confidently down the street. Then slow motion unrolling and holding up his ginormous jeans with a 62-inch waist like a denim flag flowing in the wind. He became an American folk hero. These ads look super dorky now, but they were quite effective at the time. Unlike the typical celebrity athlete endorsement or actors with supermodel good looks, Jared was a real dude who actually lost weight. Many people could relate to Jared's story thinking like, wow, if a dweeb like Jared can transform by eating just sandwiches, then so can I. And over the next 10 years, Jared Fogel stars in over 300 commercials and Subway's revenue triples. 
Jared personally amassed a net worth of over $15 million. His print ads were featured on billboards in Times Square. He was the Grand Marshal at a NASCAR race. He published an autobiography titled Jared the Subway Guy, colon, Winning Through Losing. An instant classic. In 2002, the cartoon South Park made a parody episode about him, and SNL did a fake Subway commercial featuring Jimmy Fallon as Jared. And I'm sure he broke character and started laughing in the middle of the sketch. The real Jared Fogle even made a cameo in not one, but two Sharknado movies. And in 2004, Fogle starts his own nonprofit called the Jared Foundation to help raise awareness of childhood obesity. And he had his friend Russell Taylor to run it. Jared Fogle goes on a nationwide speaking tour called the Tour de Pants, visiting schools around the U.S. and holding up his old oversized jeans to glorious audience fanfare. While on tour, he'd promote random acts of fitness for kids. He even made a stop at the White House for Subway's partnership with First Lady Michelle Obama. Subway and their spokesman, Jared Fogle, were riding high off that big sandwich money. But Jared was hiding a disgusting secret. A footlong scandal was on the horizon. Subway has had to deal with its fair share of scandals over the years. In 1999, in Seattle, Washington, 32 customers contracted hepatitis A from their Subway subs, including a six-year-old boy that required a liver transplant after suffering from severe liver failure after contracting hepatitis. After an investigation, it was discovered that the disease most likely spread from an infected employee not properly washing their hands after using the bathroom. There was a class action lawsuit that resulted in a $1.6 million settlement and Subway started ramping up their hand washing policy. There was also a sandwich sizing scandal. A bloke from Australia sued Subway for his footlong, only measuring up to 11 inches. Subway countered that Subway footlong is a registered trademark, more like a state of mind than a set measurement standard. Subway came out the victor in that battle. Then there was the whole azodicarbonamide issue. Azodicarbonamide is a conditioner added to bread, and I'm going to use the term bread loosely here, to make it whiter and cook faster. And this chemical is not just in Subway sandwich bread, it's in 500 other food products and also yoga mats. Mmm, sounds scrumptious. Subway removed that ingredient after a petition, but that wasn't enough to satisfy the citizens of Ireland. Their Supreme Court ruled that Subway bread could not be considered bread because the sugar content was way too high. Subway also faced scrutiny for their meat quality, lots of DNA testing into their chicken, and folks asking the question, is this tuna or a tuna-like substance? Ugh, so gross. I gotta tip my hand here, man. If I were doing a power ranking of fast food chains, Subway would be dead last for me. I think their restaurants smell like a sandwich took a dump. But they're a microcosm for food production standards in America as a whole. It's totally gone off the rails. This is a wild time to be alive and be part of this food science experiment. Wait, no. No, 
I almost broke my resolution and started ranting like your crazy Uncle Wayne, and that's not me anymore. The new me is positive with an open mind like your kind-hearted Aunt Peggy. So, I'm going to give Subway and the diet a second chance. You know, big picture, these scandals are just some minor bumps in the road for the sandwich giant. And like my Aunt Peggy always says, If you slather on plenty of mayo and slap on some cheese, even a yoga mat can make a tasty treat. And hey, even if Subway isn't your jam, it sounded like Jared and his foundation were out there doing wonderful things to help fight childhood obesity, right? So let's check in with him on his tour de pants, shall we? The year is 2006. And Fogel is in Sarasota, Florida, giving his pants presentation to a group of middle schoolers. A local journalist slash radio host named Rochelle Herman Walrand is in attendance and there to interview Jared Fogel. Everything goes as expected. Jared rolls out his huge jeans, holds them up to cheers and applause. Rochelle then conducts a typical boilerplate interview with Jared. He relays his weight loss story, the same one he's given a hundred times. But then, just as they're wrapping things up, Jared Fogel leans over and whispers into the ear of journalist Rochelle, Man, middle school girls are so hot. Dude, did he really just say that? Can you imagine? Seriously, what would you do if anybody, not to mention a celebrity spokesperson, said that to you? Maybe take a running start and kick him square in the footlong? No, that's too extreme. I meant to say quarter footlong. Isn't that the correct response? Well, that's not what Rochelle did. Instead, she got Jared's cell phone number and decided to go all undercover PI mom and try to lure quarter footlong Vogel into implicating himself via text and recorded phone calls. And in order to do this, Rochelle pretended that she was into middle school kids too. So messed up on multiple levels, plus how is this not entrapment? There's gotta be a better way to nab this dude, like secret sandwich cam or something? But no, however weird and misguided, Rochelle felt like she had a moral obligation to get the dirt on Fogel any way she could. She even goes as far as meeting up with him in person in a West Palm Beach hotel and recorded their conversation. Rochelle claimed Jared tried to put the moves on her. She faked having an emergency and excused herself, but at this point she felt like she had enough evidence to go to the FBI. According to Rochelle, the FBI were all like, cool, cool, you've done some great detective work here, but we're gonna need a little more from you. Rochelle then claims that the FBI said that Jared simply expressing fantasies wasn't enough, that they needed more substantive evidence, and they wanted her to act as an informant and be in contact with Jared like 10 to 20 times a day for the next four years, I guess. Yeah, this is where Rochelle's story gets fishier than Subway's tuna. Don't get me wrong, Jared's a guilty perv, but Rochelle is also super drama. She continues to gather tons of, quote, evidence on Jared, even continuing to be in contact with him after he asks her to install a webcam in her children's bedrooms. Her kids were like 9 and 11 years old at the time. But Rochelle still keeps talking to him and even teams up with the FBI to create a fake sting birthday party for her kid and invites Jared to attend. 
The subway spokesman falls right into their trap. He's stoked and he's about to cross state lines and get nabbed once and for all. But then there's a last minute change of plans and he has to cancel. So after all those years, none of Rochelle's secret recordings generated enough evidence to officially charge Jared. But she was able to star in a three-part docuseries about her time being a, quote, FBI informant. The series was called Jared from Subway, colon, Catching a Monster. In my opinion, it's a complete waste of time, total betrayal to the audience. Basically, it's the Rochelle show. I mean, I can kind of understand her actions at the beginning. She's a journalist, and this creep show famous dude just admitted that he's into kids. And yeah, I get you want to protect further victims, but Homegirl took it way too far. At one point, Rochelle's daughter accidentally discovered her journal filled with notes detailing her conversations with Jared. This was understandably horrifying to her, and she stopped talking to her mother. On top of that, Rochelle's son moved to Taiwan, so she's basically estranged from her two children because of this futile investigation. At the same time Rochelle was texting Jared, he was also hanging out with another Florida female franchisee named Cindy Mills. These two had engaged in a sexual relationship, consensual adult sandwich play, but then Jared started sharing some disturbing details with Cindy about his past sexual encounters with children as young as nine. Plus, he asked her to set him up on a date with Cindy's 16-year-old cousin. Cindy Mills was alarmed, and she insisted she shared these messages with corporate subway management. And they replied to her saying they couldn't do anything on their end because Jared Fogel wasn't technically a subway employee. Subway later claims they had no records of Cindy Mills' allegations against Jared. And so it's business as usual. Jared continued with his public speaking engagements and school tours on behalf of Subway, whilst also not so secretly being a total creep. It was smooth sailing, not a care in the world, until a submarine sandwich torpedo finally surfaced. His Jared Foundation director, Russell Taylor, was doing a terrible job running the nonprofit. The charity pledged to give $1 million to promote healthy foods in schools, plus another mill to go towards family education programs. But from 2008 to 2013, the charity only raised around $650,000. They spent twenty grand on a golf tournament and twelve grand on meals. I'm guessing Jared wasn't utilizing his subway discount. And a majority of the remaining funds went to Russell Taylor's salary. A USA Today article from 2015 claimed that the foundation didn't donate any funds or issue a single grant towards their stated mission. Charity Watch president Daniel Boroshoff said of the Jared Foundation, quote, If Jared was really interested in helping children through his foundation, he could have gotten way more money. People need to be wary of celebrity charities. Oftentimes, it's more about image enhancement than about actual charitable work, end quote. Perhaps Russell Taylor was doing such an abysmal job running the Jared Foundation because he was too busy partaking in his own disgusting behavior. In April 2015, a tip came in to the Indiana State Police captain that there was an image of bestiality being shared online by a man named Russell Taylor. 
Authorities raided his house and discovered a stockpile of incriminating evidence, including videos of Russell Taylor and his wife, Angela Baldwin, having children over to their house and sexually abusing them, filming them with hidden cameras. They also found evidence on Russell Taylor's computer that he was sharing those videos with Jared Fogle. After Taylor's arrest, he points the finger at Jared, claiming he asked Russell to set up accounts to child porn sites in his own name and then give Jared the login info and Jared would pay for everything. Russell also claims Jared asked him to set him up on dates with underage prostitutes, children as young as 13 years old who are victims of sex trafficking. So now authorities have enough evidence to search Jared Fogel's home and arrest him for consuming child pornography and sexually abusing minors. They raid his residence in Zionville, Indiana in July of 2015, seizing his computers, phone, and electronics. The same day as his arrest, Subway announced that they had mutually agreed with Fogel to end their partnership and scrubbed him from their website. Jared Fogel pled guilty to two counts, one for receiving and distributing child pornography and another for crossing state lines to engage in sexual conduct with a minor. It also came out in court that Fogel was asking adult sex workers to procure him underage children for sex in exchange for a finder's fee. Even though he accepted a plea deal, his defense team still put forth some interesting theories in hopes for a lesser sentence. They had an expert testify that Fogel had suffered from a compulsive eating disorder. And then when he lost weight and was feeling tons of public pressure to keep it off, he replaced that compulsion with hypersexuality, which cool, cool, kind of makes sense. But that doesn't explain acting on his illegal pedophilic urges. The judge thought the defense arguments were ridiculous, even kind of made fun of him on social media, and then sentenced Jared to 15 years. The gals from the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast had an interesting discussion on their show about the psychology of pedophilia. They give their own informal analysis on Jared, how he perhaps came of age socially and sexually later after experiencing such a dramatic change in his body. Obviously, they weren't excusing his behavior, just trying to make some sort of sense of it. Usually this is an area of true crime I just can't handle. I find it so upsetting even just reading about it. I can't imagine the trauma of experiencing this. But choosing to ignore it doesn't mean these people aren't still out there. It would be amazing if there was an effective treatment or cure for this. I did a quick Google search on therapies and saw an article about the use of AI and robotics as a possible treatment in the future. I Yes, it's better than the alternative, but I still found the whole thing just so unsettling. Godspeed to anyone out there doing this research, man. I'd rather eat a Subway tuna sandwich. Moving on. While Jared is serving time in a low-security federal prison in Colorado, he was there as an inmate at the same time as Jeffrey Skilling, that dude from Enron, who was released in 2019, and former Illinois governor-turned-inmate Rod Blagojevich, whose sentence was commuted in 2020 by Donald Trump. Jared Fogel also served alongside an inmate named Stephen Nigg, who was serving a sentence for felony firearms charges. One day in January of 2016, 
Nig said that Fogel was hanging out with his other child molester friends in the prison yard and something came over him. He just lost it. Steve and Nig beat up Jared Fogel, striking him multiple times in the face. According to an incident report, Fogel, quote, sustained a bloody nose, scratches to his neck, and redness and swelling to his face, end quote. According to Nig, he couldn't stand the fact that Jared and people serving time for sexually abusing children received such lenient sentences. Another former inmate who served time with Jared Fogel named Mark Brooks said, quote, He's living the life in there. He's eating good, working out, cooking, not a care in the world, watching movies, eating fancy foods, and making crafts. Seriously, I can see how that would be rage-inducing. Jared Fogel's now ex-wife, Kathleen McLaughlin, was also steamed about it. In 2016, she sued Subway in Indiana for personal injury and emotional distress, claiming that management knowingly covered up at least three instances of her husband's sexual abuse against minors. But that lawsuit was dropped. In 2017, Fogel put forth his own motion, saying his case should have never been tried because the state had no jurisdiction on the grounds that he was a self-declared sovereign citizen. His motion was dismissed, and I don't think anyone has successfully prevailed in court with a sovereign citizen case. Let me know, though, because I've got some parking tickets I'd like to get out of. But as for Jared, nope, no sov sick case for him. The soonest he could possibly be released is 2029. Upon his release, he will presumably be the new spokesperson for sex robots. Ugh, no, gross. Russell Taylor is currently serving a 27-year sentence, and his ex-wife, Angela Baldwin, is currently serving a 33-year sentence. As for Subway, their sales haven't been great in recent years. The Jared Fogel scandal hurt them bad. Plus, their image of being a diet-friendly, healthy alternative has been sullied. They've got fast-growing competition like Firehouse Subs and Joyzy Mike's, Plus, my local favorite here in Portland, Maine, the original Amato's Italian sandwiches with the capicola and the prosciutto and those sour pickles, baby. And I'd like to change my New Year's resolution and go on the Amato's Italian sandwich diet, okay? Thanks. Subway used to be the largest sandwich chain in the U.S., and since 2016, they've closed over 6,500 restaurants worldwide. In the year 2022 alone, they closed 570 stores just here in the U.S. Yeah, dude, stores are closing faster than I can dust in Amato's original Italian manja. In 2023, Subway hit their lowest sales numbers since 2005, and the chain was sold to Rourke Capital, the same folks that own Baskin Robbins and Dunkin' Donuts. So we'll see how they do in the coming year under new ownership. Maybe Subway's New Year's resolution will be to rebrand their image and hire Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator as their new spokesperson. Okay, I've had only two celebrity sightings in my life, and one was Jared from Subway, you guys. I bumped into him in a hotel lobby in Boston. He was way taller and way more goofier looking than I was expecting, and now I'm doing a true crime episode about him. Full circle moment, y'all. My other celebrity encounter could also be the subject of a true crime podcast because I also once rode an elevator with Lance Armstrong, who was way shorter than I expected. 
It was at this hotel I worked at. I was delivering room service, and he made that oh-so-unoriginal joke. Hey, you got anything good under there? And I did my fake service industry laugh. <laughs> good one, Lance Armstrong. You're the dopest. Any hoozle. That's the gist of my celebrity encounters. You can tell me yours as well as your thoughts about today's episode. Email me directly at Angela at the truecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends, even if they eat at Subway. Stay tuned until after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, <sighs> hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Before we start the official ranking, I wanted to recommend a fictional crime podcast series called Murder on Sex Island, about a sexy reality TV show with a missing contestant and an undercover detective. It's basically a fun, cozy audiobook. A great listen if you get the post-holiday blues, or if you're like me, post-holiday relief. Now, let's get to the official ranking. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Million Dollar Lover. Here's a summary from the show page. Million Dollar Lover is an unlikely love story recorded in real time as the relationship unfolds between a wealthy widow, Carolyn, who is 80, and Dave, 57, a former drug addict who is homeless and has a long criminal history. With Carolyn's support, he appears to be thriving. Her daughters fear that he has his sights set on the valuable property portfolio, which their parents and grandparents built up over the years, and turn to the police for help. Soon, everyone is asking whether Dave is really a tender carer or a dangerous interloper who will fleece her, breaking her heart and her family. This is the latest season from the BBC show Intrigue. It's an interesting conversation about class, gender, and family drama. There's been some other amazing stories featured on this series that I can't wait to talk about in future episodes. And for now, I have very high hopes for this latest season of Intrigue called Million Dollar Lover. At the number two spot, we have Truer Crime. Here's a synopsis from the show page. Do you ever listen to a true crime podcast and think, that's not quite right? Same. Crime stories are hard to ignore and even harder to forget. But the thing is, they're stories. And getting the story right is all about how you tell it. Truer Crime talks about real people, murdered, missing, misled, with more nuance, more context, and more questions. I love this show and this format. It's a single story each episode. I just listened to the Mindy Dodd one, whose case was originally covered by that TV show Snapped. Let's just say Truer Crime had some different takes on it. 
What the podcast series Unraveled Season 2 Expert on Trial does to shows like Forensic Files, this podcast, Truer Crime, does to salacious shows like Snapped. In fact, after you listen to this podcast, you might be ready to send Snapped and shows like it down your TV true crime trap door. A much-needed conversation in the true crime entertainment space with Truer Crime. And at the number one spot, we have the witness fade to black. Here's a rundown from the show page. When L.A. screenwriter Gary Devereaux mysteriously disappears in the summer of 1997, weird coincidences lead family and friends to believe that he may have been the victim of foul play, possibly because of his mysterious ties to the CIA. Gary was on the way home from finishing his latest script, which was allegedly going to be based in part on real events that occurred during the American invasion of Panama. And that script vanished, along with him and his vehicle. Just finished the last episode. I was literally going back and forth to the very last second. I don't have a clear answer here, but that's what I loved about this show. There are so many out there, but still believable possibilities. And the pursuit of these possibilities gives you new information into the inner workings of the CIA, Hollywood, bridge construction fails, and witness protection. I am chomping at the bit to talk about this ending and hear what you all think happened to Gary. So hit me up in the Facebook group after you complete this season of Witnessed Fade to Black. Now for my miss of the week. We have mortal sin. Here's a reminder from the show page. Don and Nick Hackney are the perfect couple. Spiritual, loving, and devoted to the church where Nick is a pastor. When Don is killed in a house fire the day after Christmas, the pastor and his flock are devastated. What few knew at the time was the dark prophecy that foretold it. The latest podcast from Dateline and Josh Mankiewicz is about sex, lies, religion, and murder. Okay, I loved the beginning of this one, but hated the ending. Dateline isn't always known for sticking the landing, but they totally biffed this one. Maybe it's just me and my new positive outlook on life, but I found their final episode, The Worm Dude, overly cynical and in poor taste. Anyway, spoiler alert, I guess. Pastor Nick goes to prison and finds his new calling, demonstrating the wonders of vermiculture, aka farming worms for composting and soil enhancement. And Dateline was totally making fun of it. I think part of me was offended because I totally nerd out about composting, vermiculture, farming, all that good stuff. In fact, one of my favorite rides at Disney World is the Living with the Land Tour, all about advancements in aquaponics. Bonus, there's never a line for that one. So yeah, I'm team vermiculture here, and I didn't really appreciate the shade being thrown by Josh Mankey. It also had me thinking about crime and punishment, like when someone does something awful and they go to prison, do we want people to just sit there and suffer, or do we want them to contribute in the hopes of making the world a little bit better? Nick Hackney is a total scumbucket for doing what he did to his wife, her mother, and the community. 
but he's doing more in prison than Jared Fogel is. And here I go again, sounding like crazy Uncle Wayne. Dateline didn't agree with this take. They decided to end their series by mocking vermiculture and those who participate in this prison project, which was a mortal sin in my book. And that's why it's going down my podcast queue, Trapdoor. Destined to be worm food. Find out next week who will be in the number one spot now that Witnessed Fade to Black has concluded. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show did you feed to the worms. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to true crime feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.